Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, here we go. Okay. You're good? I'm good. Welcome to episode 13 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And for more information, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. This is going to be an interesting one today. I have no idea how this is going to go. My mom, Agnes Lang, is joining us this morning. Hello, my delightful daughter. <laughs> All right, we already know she never calls me delightful, so this is going to be very interesting. I, I, I thought it would be interesting to have you on as a guest, and we're not going to go with the complicated kind of uh, background because no. we're going to wait on that one for another podcast of your background, escaping Hungary during the Hungarian Revolution, making your way to Canada. We're going to kind of start at the beginning of adulthood. Is that Perfect. Does that I sound good? That. Okay. Yes, because I think it, it's going to reflect well with what this podcast is about and my admiration for the type of business you have built around health and sport and kids. So my mom is the founder and creator of the Nepean Cronus School of Gymnastics. It is one of the largest gymnastics facilities in the country. It has produced some amazing athletes. Uh, and my mom has been at the helm of this right from day one. How, how You were young. I was 22. Can you imagine? I was 22 and I had this vision. I had this vision as a teenager that if I couldn't make it as an elite athlete, I still want to stay with sport, health, wellness. And so in my mind, I thought I was going to create a sport environment where I can help other athletes achieve what I basically physically wasn't good enough to do. You weren't a fantastic gymnast. You were a dancer prior to even being a gymnast. And you you were training extensively as a ballet dancer. I trained five days a week, um, three hours of classical ballet, which was way too much at the time. They didn't have Pilates and all the wonderful things that help keep an athlete, a a dancer, Mm -hmm. healthy. So I started to hurt at a very young age, and I went into gymnastics. Lo and behold, that was just (laughs) as difficult as you know. Yes. And so I went into gymnastics. I was 12, and really that is past that age where you can really have great success. But I knew I was going to stay with it. And it's interesting because you can have uh, coaches who have never been great at the sport but are fantastic coaches, and then you can have coaches who have been athletes, elite athletes of that sport, and then turn out to not be not very good coaches at all. So you had a passion for the sport, but there was much to learn. And we'll go with that because you started off very small. I started off with 40 kids. It was this dream, and I thought 40 is better than none. And I went to a couple of high schools in the city. There was no such a thing as a permanent facility. I went to the school board and I said, I would like to start an organization and can I rent your gyms every day after school? So this first couple of years, we would take out the equipment at 4.30, get all the parents and the kids to help, train for three hours, pack up the equipment, Start all over again the next day. Okay, where where did, were you getting this equipment from? I mean, when you look we, at gymnastics, there's there's four events for women, six for men, you, you know, and well, we had women only to mm-hmm. begin with, and I used the school equipment, and um, as everybody called it, my expensive hobby because <laughs> although I worked full time, and I gave all of it, I didn't make any money, so it was really a passion. Uh, your late dad would call it my expensive hobby, mm-hmm. really. As 45 years later, it turned into a wonderful career that, that provides jobs for 65 people. Yeah, if you, if you imagine this, one dream, 40 athletes with parents coming in to help set out the equipment to now one of the biggest facilities in the country and full-time employees. How many full-time we staff? We have uh, 14. 14 full-time, full-time staff. And we have a about 50 part-time. Okay, so you can imagine the magnitude. So I, I've grown up. I have literally grown up in this gym. Uh, I was 
born in 75. You started the club in 72. 72. And so what was the shift in realizing that you were going to need to move out of a high school gym and to be able to find a facility? Because at this point, there's growth and there's, there's interest. Growth. So by 1979, I went from 40 kids to probably 400 kids. And because there were uh, nothing in Ottawa had occurred of that kind of a facility, I went, seeked out other places, and I copied what was available in Toronto. And I came back to Ottawa, and I had to find a landlord who was willing to invest in this concept. Nobody ever heard of a warehouse turning into a permanent gymnastic facility. So that took a year of persuasion. And once we got the facility, we were rolling, and our... our uh, our membership increased, I needed full-time staff because now we were running programs during the day. And then the dream of producing higher-level athlete was a reality. And you came along and you were part of that whole growth because I would bring you to the gym and coach an athlete, feed you, coach an athlete, mm -hmm. come back. So. By the time you were five, you were throwing cartwheels. You just thought that was a way of life. Yeah, I just thought that that was normal. People always <laughs> ask me now, you know, and I go, I honestly grew up doing this. So it's, it's second nature to me. It's like walking sometimes when I, when I can just go and, and, and do a flip still. So, you know, Leanne, what became difficult for me is I saw that you had some talent. And then I had to think, hmm, I'm a coach, I'm a mother. And my daughter shows an interest, and how is that going to work? So the mother-daughter relationship became um, part of my whole coaching career. It did, and before I started to, to grow into this, you had athletes who were um, reaching a high level. Where were you getting... Where were you getting your training from? Was, were you learning on the fly? Um, because you, it, this wasn't something that you had trained at or had been around that elite environment? Very good question. Canada wasn't producing um, high-level coaching uh, courses. It was unheard of. So you had to do a lot of work on your own. I chose to go to the United States, and I went to some of the best gyms, and I would sit for a week at a time and take notes. And I went back to school, and I did some biomechanic courses while I was pregnant with you. I had to do everything to advance myself because the country wasn't ready to produce coaches. Many years later, they got much better, and Canada found ways to train Canadians. But part of the original group of coaches, and I'm one of them, is we had to self-initiate. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I spent time in other gyms. I read books. I watched a lot, as many TV um, programs as I could. I remember once we even took a trip out to, to the ranch. You even went to study under Bella Caroli. I did. Well, I actually spent a number of weeks not at the ranch. I went to the ranch with an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, but I did go to his school in Houston, and that was probably a real turning point for me to spend time and see how these two incredibly dedicated uh, husband and wife were producing athletes. And I learned a lot from them in spite of what is going on today. <laughs> They, they were great role models for me into the type of commitment one has to do to keep the sport, to, to keep yourself up with the sport. I want to just general, generalize sure. this a little bit because you, you talk about the coaching and you talk about how Canada had to shift from it needed to advance and to coach the coaches. You know, there needed to be a system in place. Do you find that that has been essential for every sport? You know, um, that the coaching certifications, what they're learning has to be effective in every sports organization it is they did it they did it well with the national coaching certification program i think other sports have done exceptionally well figure skating swimming diving skiing we're showing great success i don't think we have done enough in the gymnastics area so i would like to for the next generation i would like a greater investment in actually a degree program like they have in europe and in the sport of gymnastics. It's very popular, but there aren't enough coaches. Now, the, you, you talked about it as being this expensive hobby. Mm -hmm. But then socially, I don't know if there's a different social outlook on a coach now, you know, 45 years later, or what, how people saw you 
45 years ago that you're a coach, right? Unless you're now <laughs> making, you know, working for an NHL franchise or coaching professionally, you're, you're like, okay, you're, you're in you're and good, good. Yeah, you're a real coach. What is the perspective from people or what did you have to deal with when you would say you're a coach compared to the person next to you saying I'm a, do- a dentist? Uh, you know? and a great question. Uh, really, I think people thought that I was, um, it was a hobby. I, I somehow like to flip, even though, of course, you stop flipping by the mm-hmm. time you're coaching because it's not a sport you do in, into your 30s. Um, and they looked at it as something like fitness. Uh, there was no understanding that really I, I am directly involved in the well-being of a child, In I have to keep them healthy, I have to have a tremendous amount of knowledge about biomechanics, there's a lot of psychology in developing an athlete. So when I would go away for a competition, my friends thought I was going away for a weekend of fun, Toronto, Sud- they couldn't understand why I would go to Sudbury or Hamilton or Sault Ste. Marie. It was, have a nice weekend. And as the years went by and and my friends took some more initiative in learning about what's happened to corona and the success of my children, they they perked up and Mm -hmm. realized coaching is a very serious job and a very complex job. And and it affects family life because you are out the same time as the child is and you might have another child at home, a husband at home. a coach gives up a lot of their personal time to be away from their own family. It's not normal working hours. Right. It isn't a nine to five. And oftentimes, like you could take a swimmer, swimmer schedule, you know, they're up early and at the pool and then they're back at it in the afternoon. Or you've got hockey coaches that are playing, you know, like game times are late at night. Like it, it, you have to have the mindset. And your family has to have the you understanding. You have to have support. Now when I hire young coaches and I initiate them into what it is to be a lifetime, a career coach, I say the first and foremost is that if you're married, your spouse has to be on board. If you're single, you have to uh, know that you will not be out every evening like your friends. Your social life changes. And that's a, that's really big to do for an entire life. And I've done mm-hmm. it. So I have great empathy for those coming on board to guide them and to make sure that they have some time off. And you've seen this from so many different perspectives because you've done the majority of the career was as a coach, as a coach. Uh, and producing athletes. And while you were doing that, the business side of things was building, you know, so it went from like 90% coaching, 10% business, then 80, 20, 70, 30, you know, and I, and I, as I was growing up, I could, I could see the growth and the shift, but there were a number of years and let's hit on this, where you were coaching a number of kind of top prospects right. and really good kids, of which I was one of them. Then it became um, a much more of an emotional journey for me. Other kids who have a wonderful workout can go home to their parents and say, hi, mom, hi, dad, I had a great workout, and that's it. And they could also go home and say, I didn't have a good workout, but I don't want to talk about it. You, unfortunately, didn't have that opportunity. And I realized early on in your athletic development that there was a very fragile balance, that I had to give you space to be able to get in the car and just know that you had a bad practice and I not question you. And that didn't come easy. Sometimes I failed, and sometimes I was good at it. And um, as many athletes work with sports psychologists, we brought in a sports psychologist to work with your group and you and all the other athletes. And I remember a sports psychologist making little notes and uh, putting them underneath mats throughout the gym. And it would say, remember, Agnes, you have one daughter, but many gymnasts. Mm -hmm. And that stayed with me for life. You're talking about it, and I have actually openly talked about the work that we did with Terry Orlick, uh, who was the sports psychologist that that we worked with. Uh, And I have talked, we haven't done it in a podcast version, but I, I have spoken about the intense fear that I had of going backwards, which put a massive strain on my career, on our relationship for the time, because I was around 11, 12 years old, and we we both knew that I had the ability at that point to really maybe go the 
elite, the elite, the, the, high, the performance. high performance route where there could have been an Olympic, like there could have been a lot of opportunity. I was doing incredibly well by that age. And then in the middle of my last competition, like my provincial championships, I was about to win my second title and I stopped going backwards in the middle of my last pass. I remember that. And I, and I'm like, I was about to capture, I, I had to just finish the routine and I was going to win. Uh, and I stopped going backwards midway, th- midway through the, the last tumbling line, and that launched into a, a two-year two uh, massive internal battle, uh, of which I now, looking at it from the outside, think that it was probably the biggest propeller of my personality and how I achieved things based on how I got through Adversity. Those, those, those two years. Because... It, we thought that it was maybe just a little blip that I just had a mental block uh, and that I was going to be able to work through it. Uh, there was, you know, you, I think, incredibly frustrated with this athlete who all of a sudden was not doing anything I was supposed to, but but also the fear because I was going to injure myself. Absolutely. I was stopping going backwards, the, mo- the momentum of going backwards in midair, and I was I was coming down crashing. It, it was, first of all, terrible to see as your mother. Yeah. And then profoundly complex as a coach because we know this happens and it happens in every gym every year that you suddenly have an athlete that for whatever reason it's called fear and fear can be unrealistic or just, you know, there's no sense to it. Um, It was you who had it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, as your mother first, I, it became overwhelmingly complex for me to make sure that this doesn't turn into a lifetime struggle about issues for you. Mm -hmm. So I had to protect your mental health. And then I was challenged by the fact that I knew you were talented. I had to figure out whether you really loved being there. Or if I was there because my mom was the head coach and that's that's where I went after school. Mm -hmm. So I remember... um, telling you every day you have an option. Mm-hmm. You can get into dance, you can do anything you want, and I'll find a way to get you there. Because remember, I was coaching every day. I didn't have the freedom to drive you to activities. But I said to you, Leanne, you, but you insisted. Well, I, we did, I took a break. I remember I took about, uh, about a, two, a three, yeah, two, two, three month break. And I, I, I hated it. I couldn't stand coming home from school and, you know, and, doing, nothing. and doing nothing. I, I just didn't want to be one of those kids and I can't even imagine it now with electronics and phones and social like I can't even fathom what would be going on with kids who don't have that activity but I knew I needed to do something and I knew deep down that I was that I wanted to be good at it so you know we started to work with Terry Orlick and I I literally went back to starting from scratch that was the process is we we learn as coaches where do we have to go to allow this athlete to work with the fear and not waste a two three year period so the the what is out there in in this sport is that you go back to basics and you allow the athlete to literally relearn and to allow them to know that they can still have success with the fear Mm -hmm. and then the coach has to be creative and you work around the skill as much as you can so we you were a remarkable back tumbler but uh, we had to teach you to do front tumbling as well in case you never tumble backwards. And that took us two years. And I know till the day you retired, mm-hmm. you had that. I ha- the fear but you learned. Yes. You learned to comp- compartmentalize that and say, I am, I am afraid, but I'm capable of doing it. Yeah, yeah it, I, I still to this day have dreams of me not going backwards like it was never it never went away but I had I had the visualization tools that I learned through Terry and 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 studying and having to learn I remember going to bed at 13 14 years of age and having to do visualization to go to sleep and I had to accomplish 20 successful back back passes in my head Mm. and even in my head and I don't think people understand even in my head I would have the fear and would stop even well as I was visualizing, and so I would have if I got to fifteen and then balked, you know, or then I had to start back right. at one so that I could successfully. I mean, it was exhausting even just going to bed trying to get through the visualization. But it was <clears throat> it was that that I still had to do. Yeah, on my last pass as an NCAA athlete, I, that. I was able to do the visualization quickly. Like I went from you sometimes having to stand there 
for a long time when I was first learning how to do this to I could do it in a split second. But there was never, not one day or not one backwards movement where I, I didn't have to trigger that that vision that visualization but that's yeah. the success that you had yes. because you know today and in it doesn't sport, happen everybody's with... visualizing right but well, that was athlete, a long time ago we were in the forefront yeah. of doing it really only olympic athletes ha- had that exposure but we were lucky we began mm-hmm. it as a, as a club early on we had all our athletes visualizing for you it was the most effective tool as you say you, you... now do but, you have that today if if you have something that um, well, it's a challenge. Do you sort of visualize it? Yeah, and I, I've talked about how making the decision to leave my 20-year career uh, and, you know, the fear that I had of the, oh, my God, what am I doing and uh, going through what am I going to be doing. And, and I you know, I would sometimes visualize myself kind of, you know, broke with nothing. Like, I would go through really bad vi- you know, that's the, the scary. I know yeah. that, but but in those nights where I was pacing my house, kind of saying, "Am I making the right decision? Am I not?" Like I would sit on my couch in the middle of the night and visualize the success that I was going to be having. I would visualize things that I was going to achieve. I would visualize how I was going to get there. I would visualize the steps that I needed to take. And so I found that it it has completely launched the way that I deal with. Learning. learning and 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 adversity and getting from one aspect of my life to another. I I, I think visualization was was critical in all of this. It was and creative very, thinking. Because yeah, you were all you're always a step ahead. I I like to think so. Yes, but I do know that it was very difficult for us um, because you knew you had to push me. You had to stay back. And I want to let people know, like Dad, you, you it was. A, you know, um, you guys were divorced. So it was, and back then it was not 50-50 like it no, is I, today. I like you were, you were the primary caregiver. I had a great relationship with dad um, and, and very involved in our lives. But it, was, it wasn't that dad was also there, you know, for the drive homes. and There was no like, balance. There was, there was really, if I'm trying to say that, right, it was full-time mother, full-time coach with, you know, a little bit of baggage, you know, like there was, it was, it was complicated. And I had to explain to people because it's a, it's a dynamic, very hard, difficult to explain. Well, first of all, coach athlete dynamic yeah. is a unique one. And then on top of that, you put mother. And I think on top of that, you put primary parent. Yeah. Um, and a brother who, mm-hmm. who we should was, mention is also, was also, was training. also a gymnast. So our, our house functioned like a well-oiled machine. Um, school, gym, homework, dinner, bedtime. Mm-hmm. It's a unique discipline. And that I'm grateful for that you were both exposed. It made you strong, healthy, productive adults. On the other hand, there are parents who would criticize what we did and say, where is play? Where is playing outdoors? Uh, where is doing uh, five or six sports? It's a decision families make, and the kids have, this is what they want to do. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's happening, though, in every sport now, Mom. Like, so I think back then, yes, the kids were doing a lot more variety. It seems now, with hockey, with with any sport, parents and families are making the, the commitment early on that they're going to be focused on this. As a coach... Do you agree with it? Do you think kids need to be exposed to more? How how do you see it? We should tell uh, your wonderful viewers this is a Sunday night family discussion. <laughs> Often when we're together, because yeah. my wonderful son-in-law, who I love very much, was Tony is a, was an elite athlete, but he did multiple sports. Mm-hmm. And so when he sees what Jamie, my the yeah. granddaughter, yes. your daughter. Tony's daughter is involved, and now she's the third-generation gymnast, um, and the time commitment she's doing as a 10-year-old, which is a repeat of what you did. And although he's proud of it and supports it, he questions it, and I think it's great that he questions it. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. 
Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. My answer to this complex question is that if the child, always go back to the child, if the child shows potential and loves it, they have the ability to be a high-level athlete there's no other way today because sport has grown to be a very scientific experience from a coaching point of view. For them to be good, they need to put more time in. If they're a great athlete, but the athlete is not for high-level accomplishment, put them in as many sports and don't do anything past 12 or 16 hours a week. But I think today, if an athlete wants to reach a high-level they have to commit at a younger age. What do you think about, you know, we're learning now that there's hockey players, you know, that are playing at the NHL level who can't throw a ball. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's... The coach missed out in uh, what a well-rounded development. I think that's essential that they be well-coordinated throughout their body, hand-eye coordination, everything. Fit, flexible, aerobically, at the top of their game, whatever sport they're doing. Um, I mean, no, it shouldn't be to such exclusion. I promote my granddaughter to ski, to swim, to do other things. Uh, you know, I bought her uh, an airwalk to go and play outside. Did I call it right? What is it? The, uh, oh, that you got Julia? And, yeah. and well, yeah, you got... Um, oh, no, no, that era, that was our Hanukkah present, right, Mom. That was right, like, right. We, we're taking full on. But I promote on. them to go out, and I'm always asking every, yeah. who wants to come skiing with me? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a question that can't be answered in, in one of our podcasts. There is much research for, for both ends. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe at the exclusion of a well-developed body. So you have had 40 years, 45, 45 sorry, 45 40, of training athletes. How have you, over the years, distinguished between when it's a parent pushing or when it's a child in like five minutes <laughs> <laughs> that you can tell the difference whether who's 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 why is the child there yeah that's something you really do get with experience you know I if I look back at 22 every little kid that came in the door was committed and was good and now I look back and I realize it was probably every 10th kid that was there because they want to be there you learn that early. Again, once again, not at that fun level, not at the, the child who comes two, mm. three times a week, but, but the athlete that's there, as we were discussing, four or five times a week at a young age, I, I can tell pretty quickly. And it's not necessarily bad that the parent wants them there, but it's not right if it's not the child who's one step ahead. And how can you tell when it's the child that is gung-ho? Like, what is the... There's, what is the that dream kind of kid coming in who has a work ethic or who you know really is happy to be there? Great question. I I believe that few children have full intrinsic motivation. I think they need help. You know, that's the rare child who is so self-driven that they don't need any guidance. So that's the dream child. And in a coach's career, maybe you'll get one or two. That has the whole package. I think what makes a great coach is to take the child that has some vision and instill in them a love for learning, for pushing their body. So what I look for in a child that I feel can be mentored to be that, a twinkle in the eye, always willing to try something. They come in and there is joy Mm -hmm. instead of, oh, my God, I've got another practice. Um, It's a child who watches and observes what else is going on in the gym. It's a child who looks at you, and you can see in their eye that they're taking in what you've attempted to teach them. And it's a child who doesn't get down on themselves too quickly. So we look for those attributes, and then if we see a child who's clock-watching, who's looking to see if their parent is watching who gets at every opportunity to sit down, at every opportunity to do something other than what they're being taught, you sort of say, okay, how much of their time here are they really enjoying? Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> and Sorry, then, I've got, let me just No, yeah, for sure. Because then you take them to a competition and then you might find that the kid <laughs> oh. <laughs> who loves being there and loves everything about it can't compete. Can't compete. Mm. And then you realize the kid who is making their way through training and doing whatever they can, they shine. They love the competition, right? So hence more psychology. And it can be like that for any sport. You could have a kid who kind of gets through, you know, practice, hockey practice. They, they, they sail on through. But as soon as they're on that competition stage, they, they put on a they're, – they're, they're a different level. Like, I mean – I think about the psychology or how or what child is going to make it. Like, well, there's you, so many layers. You know, Leanne, you yeah. know the sport and you're an athlete because you're asking these questions <laughs> because I think and you I'm not, I'm not, yes, both. But, and I'm not just asking it from a gymnast from this because it, it applies to so <clears throat> many sports and how kids or athletes train and compete. Well, that's I know an, how another I level yeah. of psychology. You're right. The child who trains incredibly well and can compete that and they're they're a gifted athlete that athlete needs very specific mental preparation and at that point all you can do for them at a competition is be support and take that athlete and spend equal amount of time in their mental preparation with a sports psychologist with their parent to help them because there's nothing worse than being a good athlete and not being able to showcase to, it to, to showcase it at the right moment what's more difficult is the athlete who is relatively lazy, unmotivated, gifted, and goes to a competition and just pulls it off. Because that, then you say, hmm, how do you come back and ask that child to work harder when they just won? But what happens, there's a dead end to that. You can only do that for so long. And then you get to the next level where it's impossible to do. And then th th those athletes have a big hurdle. Either they stay with the sport mm -hmm. Or they leave, and that's sort of the fall-off point. In in, for instance, in gymnastics, when that happens, I I you were a little bit of both. I was a little bit of both. Yes, yeah, that's that's right. There were there were times when I could turn it up, and and there and were times <laughs> when I couldn't motivate you in the gym, and that's when go back to mother daughter. That's when the mother daughter rela relationship became complicated. Because I couldn't call your mother to say, by the way, your child isn't working hard because I was your mother. So that's when we had to make these deals mm -hmm. that we do not talk about gymnastics when we get home because you needed the right to have time off. So if you remember that and then well, the... Well, I, I, I do. And then I remember how I competed, you know, like and, and how certain times I could really turn it on and pull off something that I hadn't quite trained properly. And, and my, my eyes yeah. would be closed. Yeah, and you didn't deal well with me compete. Like, you as a oh. coach and mother, like, I'm, experience, I'm experiencing this now with Jamie. So Jamie's 10 uh, and just came back from her provincial championships. We had, uh, she, and she did really well, but I was... A wreck. A wreck. <laughs> like, I was a nervous wreck. I was sweating, you know, and I, maybe it's because I could, I could feel I understood exactly what she was going through. Although I think it might have been easier as an athlete to, to stare at the beam rather than the parent. But like I was, I know I like, sat I, like you, I, was like, I actually sat behind you because I, I just needed my space. And then I, and, and she's not doing the tricks that I was where there's a danger level yet or a real she's good chance starting, of, right. of falling, right? Like she's right. not doing the tricks yet where she could fall at any second. Whereas by the end I was right at, you know, right. there's 10 tricks in a routine on it. It was nine out of 10 I could probably fall on. How did you, you know, cope with having to do that as a as the coach? And then I can't imagine how I am as the mother in the stands. Like it's, well, it was difficult when you were yeah. on balance beam. Yeah. Throughout your gymnastic career, I think I don't have to hide this from you anymore. Yeah. I never watched one of your beam routines. I would know whether you were on beam or not by the sound of the audience. If there was oh. I knew you fell, and if there was silence, I knew you hit. But that was the only event I couldn't watch, and I can't tell you why. I don't know why I could watch you on the other events, but when you went on balance beam, I would do this. And you couldn't watch. I couldn't yeah. watch, and it sort of became a joke. And then I trained myself with everybody else to keep my eyes on them because I felt ridiculous. So now that Jamie's in the gym, 
Yeah. I'm really good. I can watch and I could sort of, oh. I know. Yeah, it's, you're, <laughs> just watching, you're just watching me suffer through it now. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I think about that now, you know, having to play the, the double role of it. You know, I got I got lucky. I mean, lucky, but I, I worked incredibly hard for it. And then I managed to get the scholarship to, uh, to UMass. So I had this NCAA experience, which was a, a that very was different level for me. Yeah, I was the mother, mm-hmm. not the coach. Yes, it was different. It was yeah. different. I it was an honor to do all the routines. Yes, we I, we actually had the team. We took a van from UMass uh, and came up prior to season. And you actually did the choreography for all of for for, for the team, girls, yeah, for the UMass girls yeah. team and women's team. And there, I was able to be a, a, mm. a mom. So yeah. I would love driving to all the different competitions. Because I could sit in the stand, and um, I trusted the coach you were with. Uh, I knew you were doing this because you loved it. Mm-hmm. There was no conflict. And it's- I think what I loved about it is that I was training with twelve other girls who were at the exact elite level as I was. Whereas growing up, most of my competition was in Toronto. Like there weren't. There, there's a much stronger oh, gymnastics community in the city now. There's really good kids throughout the city. But when I was training, I was the only elite. You and and uh, athletes from the Ottawa Gym Club. So, but uh, but there weren't ten kids your no, age there in weren't. the gym, and there now we have that. Now, yeah. when you are a competitive athlete at Corona, you'll have six, seven, eight kids your age mm-hmm. on your team. So there's a huge social development that's going on. Most of I know most of Jamie's friends. Oh, it, that's their are, family. Are yeah. her uh, gym friends? They're best friends. It, it's different. As this is all happening, the club itself is growing and expanding. In 1990, we did the, you did the massive renovation. We did a massive renovation in 1993, and then we did a massive renovation 10 years ago. And uh, as ever-evolving we are, we will probably do another one in the coming future, which will be the fourth huge stage of uh, Corona's uh, development. Has it been the shift in the rec? There's a massive recreational side. And I think, and I explained to a lot of people, people tend to put their kids in gymnastics or in these fun classes to build a foundation for their body, for, for fundamentals other for other sports. They're not putting their kids in to become mm-hmm. gymnasts. They're putting their kids in to develop fully all aspects of physical movement so that they can then put right. them in. You find that that's a lot I- of the interest. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of our, we have 1,200 children who come once a week to do recreational gymnastics. And I think one of our strengths at Corona is that we made a huge investment in making sure that that child who comes one and a half hour, two hours a week gets the ultimate workout. So the, the coaches are very well trained and they are, they are overseeing and every child has a turn and every child is followed. We have records on all these young, young children that come once a week, but we know what class they belong to. So our, our commitment to the rec program is as great as it is to mm-hmm. the competitive kids. Plus, so sometimes a, there's a coach that spots a kid that goes, this kid's, and that's right. <laughs> this and kid's then, got know, what it takes, yeah. Right, so the eye is out for that unique child. Mm-hmm. But really, 99% of the population doesn't Aren't. like being upside down. And yet the sport is a great sport for kids because it teaches balance and flexibility and learning to take your, you know, standing in line. There's no kicking. There's no yelling. It's discipline. It's quiet discipline. Mm-hmm. Quiet discipline in a very loud, <laughs> crazy, crazy right. gym. But but I that I mean that's just what makes the environment. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know. No kicking, I know exactly. Like in the soccer I, field. Yes. Hey, you. Yeah. You know, there's no screaming and yelling. Yeah, and and this has been an argument at our at our dinner table quite uh, often is the psychology or the understanding of putting your kid in an individual sport mm. or putting your kid in a team sport. And I, this is probably usually my favorite discussion that, that we have uh, in terms of building a child's um, overall well-being. Not, not well-being, but how they're, how they're going to deal with things in life. And I feel that kids who have different backgrounds rely on different characteristic character traits to get through them if they have had an individual sport sport or a team sport background i have a good example Mm -hmm. because jamie Mm -hmm. who was about to go to a competition said to me do you think mommy and daddy you you would be disappointed Mm -hmm. if i didn't do well and we said no we would 
feel whatever you want. If you were disappointed, we would feel bad. If you were pleased, we would be happy for you. And she said, yes, but you know, when a gymnast does something, she's on her own, and she can't blame anybody else. Mm -hmm. And like my sister, she's on a soccer team. <laughs> she can just rely on somebody else. She said it as is. Yeah. For a 10-year-old, she's very... You get it. She gets it. And really, that's what you have to look at in terms of a child. If the child does well relying on themselves, I don't think there's any worry that they do an individual sport. On the other hand, if a child is more timid, needs uh, more social interaction as part of their sport development, then team sport is better suited to their personality. But these things show up early. And, you know, if a child is in the gym and they're constantly chattering and they need a teammate along to get support or advice from, they're probably better off in a team sport. I don't think there's one direct answer. No, I know oh, we no. have this yeah, we have this discussion with, all the time because there's uh, there's Tony. Yeah, there's so many pros and and cons uh, to it. As this is happening, I I want to get into kind of how the how the business of sport has changed because I think even if you look in the city, the growth of uh, clubs of sports organizations that there are because the city itself has, has grown. grown so much. Um, you know, there's a massive business side to what is happening and so while you were once doing 90% coaching and at 10% on the business side as you've aged and you're and you, and, and I, I do want to say and I want to hit back on the physical toll that the coaching took oh, on on your body we'll get to that in, in a bit just how you're you're shifting as you probably should be retiring you're not because there's still this, this you know there's still I this still have a vision. yes not done you're not yet. done yet I know even though all your friends are in Florida <laughs> I'm not done yet. Um, there's still something that I feel is I haven't completed mm -hmm. the journey. Um, but f the physical aspect of being a coach, I mean, we're standing on our feet four hours a night, sometimes five, and you're physically lifting a gymnast. So And catching them. And catching them. So many coaches, just like athletes, develop chronic problems, shoulder problems, back problems, because we're catching. So... I think the sport today requires a male in the gym. When I began my coaching career, there were no men involved. And sort of every decade, don't forget, I'm at it 45 years, every decade you could see the physical changes because the tricks became bigger, you needed men yeah. to help the women spot. Well, by the time I was fifth, 14, 15, you, we had, you brought, yeah, there was a male coach because there was no way I was trusting as much as I could not trust you to catch me coming off of, you know, a major, a major, major trick, trick or to throw, like it was a, it was just a trusting that I wasn't going to injure myself having a male larger than me. Yes. Right. But you know, we have pits and we have the, yes. the foam and, and the female coaches from day one, they have to be strong enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just part of the way it is today. Evolution. We know that for a female to be involved, they have to have the guts and the strength to be able to spot. But at the same time, if you're, you're having a, a full-grown gymnast right. at five foot four, and they're doing big tricks, you do need to have the, the male around. But, but to sort of go back, yeah, that, that's the evolution. As we get older in coaching, we do less spotting because it's very hard. So what else is happening is this, a woman my age could have a 25-year-old male counterpart who doesn't understand um, the technique of gymnastics yet, but is strong and can help spot. So there are ways to help keep um, women coaches on their feet for a long time, as long as they have the physical support. Uh, but you asked me the question, I want to go back to how it changes more business. Yeah. Well, Sport has grown in Canada, which mm -hmm. is great. You know, in the early 70s, we, we weren't doing anything unless it was winter sport. Now kids are involved in soccer and t-ball, and there are just endless things. So when I started gymnastics, it was considered just sort of um, something you do in, in high school. It's not something you do in a private club. So as the club grew, you had to have a business sense. You basically were running a mm -hmm. business that happened to be sport. And I had to learn along the way what it is to be an employer, what it is to how to hire, how to train, how to motivate. Um, 
keep the child happy, the coach happy, and the parent happy. Some days and, I had really bad days. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> Some and days it came were and it great. came home. I, but you've had and, and I want to I want to bring Penny into this because usually in a company that has grown to this magnitude, right. there's a number of people. And Penny, who is a gymnast of yours, she was my first gymnast. First gymnast has been your right hand absolutely person, through the forty five years. Yeah. So she was she's ten years younger, and she was um, a teenager when I met her. I became her coach, and when she finished university at Ottawa U. I was, I have, or Corona has been her only employer. We have worked together for 45 years. And we are a great balance. Where I'm strong, she's weak. And where she's weak, I'm strong. And we found a fit. It was like a marriage. Yeah. yeah. It's like a marriage. <laughs> Definitely. We can have an yeah. argument yeah. and make up and yeah. just know this is my area and that's your area. Uh, and I think what was also evident too is that you were both fit, you both kept up your own health. And, a lot of people now ask me, you know, like I, I have a very athletic background. I was, an, I was an athlete from a young age, but I lived in a household where you were also very active. Like we talked about, you know, kids doing other sports. We skied on Saturdays and in the summers we biked from our house in <laughs> Craig Henry downtown because we went along the parkway. You instilled a very health conscious health-oriented, wellness-based environment to grow up in. Our family holidays always were based around some activity. Mm -hmm. We either went skiing or we went to camp, we cycled. You're right. It was just innate in me, and it was very important for me to pass it on. And really, I was lucky, too, that both you and your brother had that same sort of genetic makeup Mm -hmm. towards it. It can happen in a family where the parents are extremely active, and they just have a child who's much more lethargic. And I think that's when the challenge is for parents to help that child find a balance because we know the only way to age is to be physically fit. It becomes very hard when you're 70 years old and it's hard for you to get in and out of mm-hmm. a car. If you're lucky enough to be healthy, then it's our obligation to keep our bodies fit and active. And, and you're doing that. I mean, I, I maintain that still every day, but I, I am a better person having had the endorphins and, and needing the workout. I always tell people, I used to work out four hours a day. For me to get in one hour a day or 45 minutes is easy because it puts my mind, it sets my mindset mm-hmm. in the right place and I have the endorphins and my body keeps moving. You're still doing that. I, I mean, Not you're going to... Yes. Right, but mom... You're still, you've got, I can't hardly get a hold of you. You've got your Pilates class, you know, in the morning, and you've got, I like, you are. My speed walking, my yeah. Pilates, my cycling. Yeah, and I think and your my, bridge to keep your mindset, yes. you know. And work. But, and, and you're still working, and you're still working with the athletes. But how, you know, when you talk to your friends now, they, they see that the movement that you've had your whole life has allowed you to have a much yes. more active, you know, golden years. Absolutely, yeah. and, and I, I highly recommend this, this, you go on this journey of doing this health and wellness um, podcast and talking about what's important to you is um, if you love to read, take some time to learn how to love to walk. As I have mm-hmm. to learn how to read and do something intellectual, I think we know so much about the science of the body that if you keep your muscles and your tendons and your bones healthy, the the length of your life, the, how you live out your life will be um, much more carefree. And you feel, I mean, I know, you know, you talked about hurt. the, you, you hurt and you hurt from the years of catching and, and being on your feet for all of those years. I mean, there is, there is that, but you, you would rather be active through. And hurt a little a li- bit. Yes. Than um, inactive. Than inactive. I have the same uh, reaction as you do. The minute I have a workout, I just feel great. It changes my outlook on uh, on everything, and I have a greater appreciation. I know when I was skiing in Zermatt, and I looked at the Matterhorn, I just said, "I am so lucky to be alive and to be able to have this experience at my age." to be on this beautiful mountain and be physical. Mm-hmm. It, it teaches me a real great appreciation for where I come from yeah. and where I am today. Uh, I'm looking at my time because these seem to fly by. I, I want to end, because I'm going to have you back on, Mom. We'll talk about a whole bunch of other things. But the biggest impact that I think a coach can have is 
when athletes return, and you've had thousands of athletes, but you have hundreds of them over the years who have come back with as you. athletes, as to come back and coached, who are now coming back with their children. You have a, you have athletes now who are coming back with their grandchildren. I know. I know. Uh, and you have athletes who have gone on to excel and become world champions in other sports. Yes. Like, where for you at the end of the day do you say, I've built this massive business that is one of the largest in the country, and I've or I have hundreds and thousands of lives mm-hmm. who think that I've I've made an impact on who they've become as a person. I I would say that it's who they have become as a person. I think deep down inside, that's what where I started off. As a young girl that said I was going to do, be a gymnastic mm-hmm. coach, it wasn't about how big the business would be. It was that I made an impact on the life of a child that uh, remembers their childhood, learned something from me, carried it throughout their life. And when I have a, an adult that comes back and says, you coached me, and I remember this, and this changed something for me, that's when I have, um, a, 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 I feel a great gratitude. And it, it happened with, with Jamie. And it made my 45 years of coaching special because, you know, last week I coached her. Mm-hmm. And which is again. Her, her, her coach was away. Her coach was away. And you she made it in. very clear that I am a grandmother in the gym. That is my job. She was never going to allow me to be the coach that I was to her mother. Mm-hmm. So she would say, you're my bubby. Yeah. You stay out of it. Just tell me you love me. And because her coach was away, I had to coach her for a week. And at the end, on Sunday night, when you guys were over for dinner, she snuggled up to me and she whispered in my ear, you really helped me on one day. And actually, you helped me two days. Well, no, three, four, five days, the whole week that I was in. And she snuggled in and she said, you're really good, Bubby. Well, I couldn't, I wanted to yeah. cry. And then she said to, she, she made one other comment. She said, I wasn't ready for this a little while ago, but I'm growing up and I understand what you have to offer. I think we should end our conversation on that. Because <laughs> I'm going to cry because it was like seeing my little granddaughter maturing into mm-hmm. a young athlete who was introspective of what it is to be coached or take criticism, to appreciate mm-hmm. what others have to offer. That was great. Yeah, it, it was. It's been fun. Uh, I will leave it there because I think there's there's a lot there's a lot more to hit on, um, and I think for other coaches also this you know that they're listening or you have parents who have their kids in a sport and want a certain understanding of what the coach is going through. I think it gives definitely a good perspective. Mm. And I love you. I love you too, mom. <laughs> Thanks for dinner. Uh, And that's it. That'll wrap up this edition of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.